Welcome everybody to season two of the Formed by Jesus podcast. Every season represents a practice that we are doing together as a church family at Passion Creek Church. And so we started out with Sabbath, and so we did that for three months. We're praying that this is now embedded into the life of the church and to our weekly lives. And so we're going to, of course, kind of touch base on that throughout years to come. But that was our big focus then. Now for these next at least three months, we're going to be talking about how can we be formed by Scripture. So we think these are two really foundational practices to really create a life that... uh, really is formed by the love of Jesus, by the lifestyle of Jesus, and the leadership of Jesus. And so we're excited about that. So today is season one, which means when we start out the first four sessions, we're just overviewing, talking deeper into the core concepts that we have determined to be the core concepts for each practice. So we're going to be doing four weeks. We just finished our first Sunday last Sunday, and the theme was authority. So Pastor Caleb is with me as always for this part of the session. Pastor Caleb, can you read the overview of just kind of the idea of what we're looking at, you know, for session one of the practice? Yeah. So we're bombarded with messages from political pundits, popular culture, social media ads, and news stories, all urging us to be true to ourselves, vilify those who are different, and pursue our own happiness no matter the cost. These lies offer happiness, but instead bring us slavery, just like how Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan still uses lies to lead us astray from God today. So to follow Jesus in today's world, we must seek and live by the truth. Reading scripture helps us understand what's true about the world, God, and ourselves. However, just reading the Bible isn't enough. We must also let it shape us by setting aside our assumptions, presuppositions, and personal experiences to submit to its authority. All right, so we are we we could have started this a million different ways. Yeah. Right. What's funny is you know it's a series on scripture. Every sermon we've ever preached is on scripture. You know, it's mm-hmm. being formed by the scriptures. So mm-hmm. it's kind of it's funny because it's not like hey after these four weeks we're done. It's like no, we're always going to be in our Bibles, but we're trying to take a higher level to to show what in your mind. Why do you think we started with? authority how do you think why do you think that's a helpful starting point i think that it well it's it's yeah in the most basic sense we don't start with authority then nothing else we say after this really matters if you (laughs) don't set the groundwork of we are assuming that 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 scripture the the this library that is the bible um is pointing us to what's really true to what true reality really is and if we don't submit ourselves to that, which is what I think authority is really about, is aligning ourselves with what, what, what God says is true about us and the world and everything else. If we don't align ourselves with that, then we can't engage with scripture in a way that's actually formative and life-giving because we're still carrying our own perception of what's really true and what's not with us instead of submitting to what the Bible says. And so nothing else makes sense. If the Bible says something's wrong because it's, it's not what's really true about us or it's not the best way that God intended for us to live. Um, then we have to acknowledge that, 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 that there's something to that. And we have to wrestle with that before we can talk about um, the things that we do agree with in scripture. So authority I think is foundational for that. Yeah. And that's probably the hardest concept for us as Americans, especially to understand authority, yeah. to love authority with our rugged individualism. Um, what one book that really influenced us was shaped by the word for this series by Robert Mulholland Jr. And I did love how he was like, look, we've been trained, especially when it comes to things like reading, we've been trained to say, you're the master. 
you determine what the text is and you're always, you're just in control, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, uh, the idea of that, and I've seen throughout my life and that's, what's scary about preaching this is sensing. I, I know my own hypocrisy in this moment. There's been plenty of times where I'm reading something and I'm like, oh man, I, I need to address that in my life or I need to think about that more. Oh my gosh, that that means I need to do this even though I don't want to. And there's been times where I just avoid it, ignore it, move on to the next thing. There's also been times I think when I'm like really burnt out or struggling, I know my Bible enough because I've read it enough. I just avoid certain books of the Bible because I know it will be, mm-hmm. you know, convicting. And so like even there, I, I think authority is a great, great way to start for everyone, for, for the new person who's never read the Bible. Like, hey, if you don't understand authority, none of it's going to make sense. I even thought about saying it's such an easy line to keep using. Um, but if I, I put, if um, if submission is beneath you, then the scriptures are beyond you, mm-hmm. right? If you don't, if you don't, if you're, just, I'll do this, but I'll never submit, then don't even do it. Like there's no point to it. Um and so, yeah, authority's huge, but the the temptation is is to start by saying, not, not does it guide all I do, but like, do I buy what it says, right? Like, the mm-hmm. temptation is to start a series by just trying to prove to you that this is real. What are your thoughts on that? Because of course, that's a legitimate conversation, but we didn't want to start there. Are you saying, do I buy what it says versus does it guide all I do? Yeah, like the disposition, like if you're coming to, yeah, cause, oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? If you have the right. heart of like, I'm doing this to see if I buy what it says, you're still in control. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that's that's the position of mastery. You are putting yourself above the text. And I think of that, the you know, the verse in Hebrews about scripture is meant to, it's piercing. I don't know the... the, the Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews yeah, 4.12, yeah, yeah. like it pierces between bone and marrow in the sense that it's it exposes, if you allow it to, it exposes who you really are in light of what God says, in light of what truth is, in light of what the standard for love and goodness and ethics are. And if you allow it to expose that, then you're confronted with opportunities to change. And so does it guide all that I do versus do I buy into what it says? Do I buy into what it says is such a like a um, informational, like intellectual approach? Yeah. Or like, do I have a cognitive understanding of what the Bible is trying to communicate? Do I buy it as truth? Because if I do, then I can choose still how I want that to fit into my life versus it. Does it guide all that I do? Is this this submitting to it in the sense that you're allowing it to pierce you and not just your mind, what you think or, or your attitudes and actions, but also like your behaviors and your patterns of life and your sin and your habits and all of these things. So guiding is like a much harder standard for us to reach. Um, but I think that's where scripture being formative really comes through. It's not just through the information, it's through the analysis that I think is the the byproduct of you reading it and engaging with it in a way that you allow it to confront you and you allow it to like cut to the deepest parts of you, which is a lifelong journey. Like it's hard to do that through your first read. And I think there is something about like, you know, this is why we have four weeks on it, different ways to read scripture. Sometimes you are reading for information and you're studying it, but other times you need to wrestle with it. And in the deepest sense of like, okay, this is, you know, sermon on the mound is so confronting because you know, Jesus says, you might think that you know this stuff. So like the, you, you're buying into what the law says, but I'm telling you, you're, it's not guiding who you are because this is what the law says. But if it was really guiding you, then this is what your life would look like. And so the whole Sermon on the Mound, I think, is that dichotomy. And that's why it's so hard, but why it's so formative. I also think, 
we're just gonna jump everywhere. If yeah. you want a more uh, clear version, just go to the sermon. <laughs> you know where yeah, we're. That's not what this is. That's this not is... what this is. Um, I was thinking though. I th- I have realized the o- whenever I am fearful and don't step into what the scripture has for me, mm-hmm. it's a misunderstanding of God's love for me. Right? Like every invitation. Oh yeah. Is into deeper intimacy with the Father and more forgiveness, more restoration, more redemption. And so if we have this fear to let the scriptures do its work, it's pointing to our, we don't understand God's love, right? And for some reason, we've believed the lie that it's better to live the way we're living now in a self-protective, false self. I have created a world that you can't break when really, man, you haven't lived at all yet until you're willing to lay that down. But in laying that down, you find life and life abundance. It goes to that Jesus passage where he's like, you know, those who want to find their life, lose it. And those who lose their life, find it, right? If you, man, are really willing to surrender that at that moment, that churning point, you experience more love than you ever, ever dreamed of and mm-hmm. thought you had. It's that he went to Jesus. I went to Ignatius of Loyola. Nice. Because uh, he has that line where he says, sin is just a refusal to trust that God's deepest desire is my deepest happiness. I love that line. And so like the Adam and Eve story is their refusal to trust that what God wanted for them was best. And so when we live out the fall every day, we sin in our approach to scripture by not submitting to it. It's because we're refusing to trust that whatever it's pointing to, whatever, um, however it wants to get to the division of our bone and marrow, that that's actually going to lead us to life, though it might be painful at first or whatever. The fear you know, if we put aside that fear on the other side is, you know, what Jesus calls life and life in abundance or what Ignatius would say is your deepest happiness. And I think that's why we need to read it in community, because first of all, you could get the interpretation wrong. And so having pastors in your life, having group leaders in your life to speak into it is huge. But also the testimony of saints who have gone before us and the people in our group are like, hey, I also thought that if I you know, surrendered at this point in life, my life would end. And in fact, this is when I found the love I was always looking for. And, you know, so the testimony of us living out the scriptures together, which Mm -hmm. is why we want to do every time, you know, after these four weeks, we're inviting people to have conversations and to share also at the church of the way that this is impacting them. Um, So, man, yeah, the authority part, I think is essentially a trust thing. Do you trust God's what is that line? I love that. The, He's a, yeah, I don't know word for word, but it's essentially sin is our refusal to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Mm, that's so good. So shifting gears, always feel free to shift gears as well, but okay. I, the Bible says it. I believe it. <laughs> that settles it. Yeah. So I Thanks claim, for calling me out, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> so I claim that there's people like you with a more analytical mind yeah. that would see the fallacies in it. I grew up and I'm like, yeah, that's right. Amen. That's what I do. Yeah. You know? Did you see fallacies in it? So I want to make sure we got to clear the air. <laughs> I'm assuming you would have been like, you, I see the logical holes in it. And we talked about the logical holes, right? right? Like in the hands of a false teacher, it totally. can lead to all sorts of stuff, right? So I listed uh, in the hands of a false teacher, the Bible says, sure. what's the it? Slavery is acceptable. Polygamy is celebrated. Financial prosperity is promised. Physical health is promised, right? One race is superior to another. Women should only wear dresses to church. And the list mm-hmm. could go on and on and on. And typically... It's in those churches that are super legalistic and the Bible says it, you know, you should believe it, that settles it, are the ones misusing the Bible so much. Yeah. So did you ever hear that or like that oh, yeah. sentiment? And did you, were you like, yes, amen? Or was there, I just want to clear the air because if not, I lied and we need to fix no, it here on this podcast. It's so interesting that you, you'd brought that up. I had to go back and think because I, I, 
Yeah, there's a lot I could say there about my. You life. had an opportunity and to stop it because you always see my sermon. I see before. your sermon notes, right? So you could have said that, 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 that. No, <laughs> I, that's true for where I'm at now. I think growing up, mm. I was so committed to what was true, and I, I was such a like, I, I was trying to live by such a stringent like moral compass of like this is what's right and this is what's wrong, and I believe the Bible, so the Bible says it's right. That means it's right, and so I was always comparing people and what they were saying to what the Bible says. And so it was like, well, the Bible has the final say. So if you're disagreeing with that, then you're disagreeing with God and you're an evil person, you know, whatever. So you wouldn't even entertain, like legitimately go, do you have a point here? You're like, no, it's not in the Bible. You're dumb. Kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think later on in my, my own journey of following Jesus, I realized that that wasn't good enough for me. So it started with myself. It started with like, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, was fine when it had to do with other people's issues that I didn't have to struggle with. But whenever, when it came to something that I had a question about, what I discovered was that people talk about the plain reading of the text. It's like, well, the, the Bible's clear on this. There, the Bible's not clear about a lot of things. Like, there's a lot of things that the Bible, you have to do, you have to put in the work. people to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can edit whatever you, I no, might say something. No, you, you say this every time. <laughs> Just edit this out. Yeah. That's usually the part we have to highlight, but keep going. No, I think, yeah, the Bible is is... There, the plain reading of the text existed for the people who were reading it for the first time, which is not one group of people. It is a, you know, it's written over thousands of years by, I forget the number, over like 60 different people altogether. And some people wrote parts of a book and not all of a book. And, they're and writing, that's a debate too, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, was there two Isaiahs or just one? And yeah, yeah. You're kind of a heretic if you say there's two, but then Eugene right. Peterson says there's two. And I'm like, wait a minute, maybe there's a legitimate argument here. All sorts of stuff. It's a whole scary. thing. So, Moses, is there an editor? Because like right. he wrote that he died, and there's it's still pretty a bit clear. Left. I think it's pretty clear that some like there has been an editing process, but whatever that looks like, and to whatever degree you attribute other people to that that process, kind of indicates whether you're like a real follower of Jesus or not. Which is bizarre to me because my faith rises and falls on somebody literally coming back from the dead. Like right. that's where my faith is, not in like whether Moses wrote this one obscure if he named this city in Genesis that wasn't named that, you know, whatever, like that's, you want to talk about that too? Cause oh, like man. there's people, I don't want to mention his name, but sure. a popular preacher yeah. who I have respect for and has helped me in the past is really starting to say like, let's, let's unhitch from the old Testament. Like all that sure. matters is the resurrection. And, but the way he's doing the argument, at least in the clips. And I know his strategy is like, hear me out over four sermons right. and then we'll get to it. But people take that so far, and it does get scary. They're like, all that matters is the resurrection. Mm -hmm. A lot of the scripture stuff could be wrong. Yeah. But it's like, I take it as, hey, what matters? The resurrection is historically true. We need to believe whatever this man says. Nobody yeah. else has defeated death like he has. Right. And and our, our point on Sunday, a big part of it was no one was more confident in the scriptures than Jesus. Right. Let me give you a few examples. John 10, 35, he says, and the scriptures cannot be broken. Mm -hmm. The scripture he's referencing is Psalm 82, which again, is not the Torah, which most people would say that's great. Or even the the prophet of Isaiah, who, you know, is, is that probably like the most quoted prophet on from the old into the new? Oh, it's uh, gotta be up there. I think it's, it's Isaiah or Ezekiel. Okay. One of the two. Okay. So obviously one of the best, yeah. right? Or the, you know, the major, the major, major prophets. prophets. Yeah. But then no, instead he's quoting a, an obscure Psalm in Psalm 82, which is a Psalm of Asaph. Mm -hmm. Do we know much about Asaph? Uh, we have guesses. Exactly. We have guesses and we kind of know like there's, yeah, I, the Bible does talk about Asaph. Uh, there's a really interesting rabbit trail that I'm not fully, con I did a teaching on this a few years ago in Matthew's genealogy. 
Asaph versus Asa. So like one of them is included oh, in the genealogy and one of them isn't. And Matthew switches them for some reason. So I don't, that's a whole other thing. So we know something about Asaph, but there are other Psalms. Proverbs 31, for example, is another, th- I point people to that one a lot because Proverbs 31 is the famous like Proverbs 31 woman yeah. thing, but that wasn't written by Solomon. It says it was written by King Lemuel from sayings of his mother or oh, something. Right. Like. So it's like, who is King? We have no idea who King Lemuel was, right. but all that to, to, to contribute to your point that Jesus affirms the authority of scripture without denying the fact that it, it comes from multiple authors and things like that. In Mark twelve thirty six, Jesus mm-hmm. says, David said by the Holy Spirit. So he's pointing right yes. there. It is a human who wrote it. So there's human personality within it, but also it was the Holy Spirit divinely. Right. So there's that both. And, right. um, and that's honestly, even to bring it today, this, what we're not, what we're doing is not, um, you know, a final authority of God's word. But like when you, when you and I teach, there is a human element to us and that's okay. Like it's okay yeah. when I preach, I'm not preaching commentary because a part of my job is to follow the model of people like David. You bring your life to mm-hmm. the, to, to teaching God's word, right? Mm-hmm. Your personality is a part of it. And God, you know, seems to use that as an right. instrument, which is pretty great. So, so all that to say, if Jesus himself was loyal and confident in the scriptures, mm-hmm. and if we are his apprentices, and we are because he rose again from the dead, then we too are loyal and confident in the scriptures. But mm-hmm. then the question is, how do we interpret the scriptures, yeah. right? And so that's, I feel like more than anything, we unpacked, what's that phrase? We unpacked a bag of worms. Is it a bag of worms? Opened a can of worms. Opened a can of worms. Thank you. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know where that comes from. I don't from. know any idiom. Yeah. Um, well, a can of... Yeah, I don't either. Is it for fishing? I don't know. I always thought it was like that, the little joke cans. So you uh, like open it in the... I don't know. Like dumb. from the elf? Yes, exactly. Kind of the... Exactly. Anyways, so we open a can of worms and didn't necessarily answer everything. Yeah. And I want to r- remind our people from Passion Creek, a lot of this is... We only have 30 to 40 minutes and we're hoping you continue the conversation with your group with your home, you know, and, and, and wrestle with these things. I love how someone right after came up to you and me and we're like, okay, what about this? What about that? Right. And kind of wrestling through it. Yeah. Um, so I love that you bring that up. The Bible, I think the more that we say, oh, it's simple. You, you know, you're actually taking away. That's a low view of the Bible. It's a low view of scripture yeah. and it sets you up where a college professor rip can your just faith rip to you to shreds and you have deconstructed the faith, yeah. which has happened all the time. Yes. And, but I want to argue it comes from preachers having maybe a, uh, like a, uh, what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Like a, not an evil uh, intention, a, a kind intention of saying the scripture is the final authority. But when you don't parse that out, yeah. when it's just the Bible says it, we believe it, that settles it, it really can rattle somebody's faith. And I think of, you know, I've used this before, but Psalm 1, the very first psalm in the book of Psalms, the prayer book of Psalms, talks about, it, it contrasts the person who delights in God's law as the one who's righteous and blessed and he bears fruit in his season and all of that. Uh, but it says that he delights on God's law and on it he meditates day and night. And I want to do that week three. Yeah. That yeah, one yeah. and Joshua one. Have you heard that? How yeah, those yeah. are very similar. It's and it, almost word for word. Yeah. But that it, Hebrew word for, and I've, other people have pointed this out too, but that Hebrew word for meditate is the same word that's used for, it literally means to chew on. Yeah. And so the word picture is a lion. Like you just need to stop because that's in two weeks. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Finish. <laughs> it's great. You know, he's like kind of mumbling and chewing and growling and like enjoying gnawing, this, yeah. gnawing on this like piece of meat on a bone. 
And the idea, and I think in scripture invites us to do this. That's the biggest thing that people, I think puts people off is like, well, if you analyze it too much, that's coming from a place of distrust. But if I analyze it, that that's really coming from a place of love. And I'm doing what the Bible is inviting me to doing to do by there is a posture yeah the posture you can't do that in a way where the posture is i want to tear this apart sure of course and no i want to like eat it up just mulling it over in your mind meditating on it chewing on it thinking about it. well this doesn't make sense what what is this story about why doesn't god comment on this person's action like what is that and that is formative that's what forms you and shapes you and And that's another book that we highly recommend and it's on formedbyjesus.com slash scripture is the book called eat this book yeah uh by eugene peterson and it's all based off of that that idea you see that in isaiah that gnawing like like a lion gnaws you know like a dog i think and then also revelation 10 where uh john eats it but then it becomes bitter so we're going to talk about that exact thing um but I also know uh, we have to remember, too, when we are looking at the authority of Scripture, it's ever-changing because we're ever-changing. So, you know, parts of the Bible, you know, sometimes a simplistic understanding of the Bible is okay when you are a baby Christian, you know, but then you need to leave room to continue to learn more, and mm-hmm. some of your worldview, you know, needs to be parsed out. And, okay, I thought this was true, and I'm not saying the Bible's not true. I'm just realizing there's a deeper meaning to this that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't discount back then. It, I think God uses those stages of understanding and stages of submission. You know, you can't know it all at once. You can't submit to all of it at once. And that's another thing that I really felt, uh, um, you know, because the, the the last line, our, our reflection, we either do a practice or a reflection. The reflection was, you know, let's not say, does do I buy what it says? Let's have the question, does it guide what I do? And I listed different verses, and it's like, man. You know, you can say all day till you're blue in the face, face that you believe in the Bible, but are you living it at all? Right. And I got scared because the reflection, I we can all think of a million things, right, of, of stuff they're not doing. So, you know, I, I think I mentioned at the end, like, Holy Spirit, tell us the one thing we, what's the one next step? Because it can get overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to take that anywhere? Yeah, well, yeah. it just reminded me, and I don't know, I think you might know these off the top of your head. And I don't know if it comes from... Robert Mulholland or where this comes from, but the four levels of sin, or maybe it's it's Mulholland, Mulholland. and uh, the journey book. Okay, um, invitation to invitation a journey. to a journey. Yeah. He talks about the four levels of sin, and so when you when you start following Jesus for the first time, you become immediately aware of like the blatant sins. Yeah, and so that's kind of the plain reading of the text Bible is like the Bible says like murder is wrong. Great, I'm not going to murder people. You know, whatever, uh, lust, things like that, the simple things. But the more you follow Jesus, the more you know, the levels of sin get deeper and deeper to where like the final level is like you're rearranging trust. your trust, what you're putting your hope in. And I think that's that's what the journey of scripture is inviting you to. And that's why I think when you say it changes, that's what you mean in the sense that like the Bible doesn't change. And what it's saying is not that's not changing or, or but it's it's getting at a deep because you are changing. Mm-hmm. And so it's getting at a deeper level each every time you you engage with it in that way. So uh Another book that I found helpful is Kevin DeYoung. I forget what book what it's called, but it's essentially about scripture. Uh, dang it. I don't. I haven't read this one. What's the book called? Anyways, he has these four things. He says throughout history, we've always said this about scripture that are essential, four essential characteristics of scripture. And then remind me, because after this, I want to talk about the four interpretations, right? The That we talked about on Sunday, the mm-hmm. four factors we bring in. Um, but we can misunderstand these four. And so I think this is a helpful way to put it. So we, first of all, God's word is final. God's word is understandable. God's word is necessary and God's word is enough. Okay. Final, understandable, necessary, enough. 
Now, final, meaning it's the final authority, mm-hmm. right? It has the final word, and that goes into the four factors, which we'll talk about next. The next thing is it's understandable. So that references its clarity. So it you can understand it. The question is, will you let it actually shape you and form you? Right. But at a basic level, it's written and it's cohesive enough, and there's one overarching story, which we'll talk about next week. Through the power of the Spirit, too. Through the power of the Spirit, it is understandable. Mm-hmm. So it's not out of reach, especially like you said. What is that, First Corinthians 2? The Holy Spirit gives us the wisdom to understand yep. the text, right? Um, now, there's a lot we don't understand, though. Right. And there's a lot of questions we have that won't be answered. But for the purposes, the, the essentials, it is understandable. The next thing is it's necessary. Um, and so, in other words... General revelation is this idea that you know there's a God by looking at Grand Can- the Grand Canyon, which I still need to take my wife to. She's born and raised in Arizona and has never been. But it's necessary, though, because we cannot know God savingly by means of personal experience or human reason. We need God's special revelation, ultimately found in the personal work of Jesus Christ, to come and reveal himself to us, right? So it's, it's necessary that we have the Bible. Outside of it, we wouldn't have a saving faith, mm-hmm. Right. And some people say, no, like if it's just resurrection, well, it's like, well, what does all that mean? Like the scriptures give us the understanding and the necessary steps we need to take. Your faces uh, are making me nervous. And then uh, God's word is enough or or other people say it's sufficient. So it doesn't teach you how to change a spark plug, but it is enough for salvation. And it is enough to live a life filled with purpose and meaning here on this earth Mm -hmm. to glorify God, right? It gives us a worldview that I, that I think, is better than any other worldview the world can give. Right? It might it might help you have a good attitude while you change your spark plug. Oh, so in that sense, it's fully encapsulating of your human experience. Or if it's your wife's car and you're you're being a loving, sacrificial yeah. husband, exactly. That's why you're actually looking up how to switch a spark plug. Boom. And you and I both don't even know what that. <laughs> what, <laughs> I, <know. where laughs> I was hoping you would call me out on that. <laughs> Thanks for bringing me down with you. <laughs> Right. So I think it's helpful. It is final. It is understandable. It is necessary. And it is enough. I want to also share the four the four ways we're splitting up this series. Yeah, good call. And then the four factors. We're doing four. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So the four we just said. Now the four ways that we, there's a billion different ways. And we are, I'm the first to say we could have probably done it better, right? You're, there's a million ways to do this. The way we want to remind our people is, first of all, authority. Next week is story, so authority and story, and then eat it, obey it. Authority, story, eat it, obey it. Authority, we must submit to it. Story, it's one grand story pointing to the personal work of Jesus, bringing about the completion, the restoration of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Which we're working on that right after this podcast ends. And then eat it, so meditation, letting it work on your life. like real. I think that's more practical, right? These first two Sundays are more based on what what is the theology orthodoxy versus orthopraxy yes and the last two so eat it what are ways to eat it how does the scripture call us to that and then obey it yeah i'm thinking of matthew 7 we'll probably use where jesus says the person who hears the word and doesn't do it is like the man who built his house on a sand Mm. and the person who hears the word and does it it's fascinating how often in the sermon on the mount it's do it right do 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 it yeah obey it and I remember I was even in a podcast one time where someone said, can we think of another word other than obey? Because it's archaic and it sounds mean. I'm like, no, it's it's obey. Figure it out. You know, like yeah, yeah. you're trying to get yourself out of it. So those that's the four ways. The four in- factors we use in interpretation. Maybe we can think of more, but well, I've always been taught. Is this is this the Wesleyan quadrilateral or is that something else? It very much could be. 
Did I just pull that out of nowhere? <laughs> I pulled it out of nowhere from my brain when... Uh, Let me look that up. I remember I learned this in college when uh, I actually had several classes where they would teach theology or church history and they would say there's four ways to interpret everything. And it's, yeah, it is the Wesleyan, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. quadrilateral. Dang it, I could have given props to Wesley and I didn't do it. That's right. My bad. So it's scripture, tradition, reason, experience. In my mind, it's that it's the prior prioritized that way. Yeah. So what does the scripture say? You want to define that a little bit? Like when we say scripture. Yes. Oh, that's a can of worms. So yeah, I, I have answers in my mind and I don't want to force it on you. So yeah. I mean the, the, are you asking what the Bible is? Is that what this is? No, I know. No, no, no. So okay. I'm saying like, so let's say you're, you're at a text. Sure. Like First Timothy 2, which yeah. is always a fun one, which I brought up in the message and then moved on. Mm. So if that's a text, to understand the text, we also need to use other scriptures, right? So sure. that's a framework. Okay, here's a scripture. Here's what the scripture says. Right. What do other scriptures say? That helps me understand this scripture as Context. well. Context, yes. Yeah, so we actually use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So scripture, I my mind went to like Leviticus. So it's like, well, the Bible, you know, the Bible says I should do this. Do I still have to do this? That kind of thing. Gotcha. So that was a can. That's why I said it is a can of worms you can get into. Yeah, scripture. I think you you look at, and this is why context is so important. You can isolate any verse and say like, well, Paul doesn't say not to have slaves, so I guess I can have a slave. That kind right. Of thing. But if you look at the grand narrative of scripture, God is always highlighting human dignity. And you look at, uh, you know, Philemon, which is a, a, you know, letter about slavery uh, that Paul wrote. You put all that together and you get like, no, slavery is wrong. Um, scripture tells me to uphold human dignity and treat others with respect and things like that. So like so that's especially when you isolate a text. Exactly. You yeah. can get to all sorts of things. But we know it's wrong because we know other texts. Exactly. Other, the context itself of that passage typically. Right. Other verses in the Bible, right. not just in that same letter. Yeah. But all the whole library of scripture. Yeah. So scripture. But then you have tradition. So inevitably, we are bringing our traditions to the table. So I come from a tradition of Southern Baptists where it's almost everything we talk about is just salvation and baptisms, Mm -hmm. not necessarily like next steps of discipleship. Um, I don't have a tradition of speaking in tongues or healing, you know, like. So knowing that means when I encounter someone who does demon deliverance, I know my tradition is like freaking out. Yeah. And so it's helpful to know well, is this wrong because I've just been raised? I wasn't even, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just good to know your tradition, but also it's like, um, what has the church and his always said throughout history? That's a helpful yes. starting point. It's yeah. like, why do we, uh, I don't know. Give me an example. Why do we do something? It's because, you know, throughout history, we've always done it. What's a good example of that? Something that we do. Yeah, something we do or believe, and it's like, yeah, well, another reason is because the church has always said that this is true. My mind first went to fasting. I don't know why. uh, Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that's actually, I think, a really good argument, right? Like, why we fast? Well, man, the church has always done it. Jesus assumed you would scripturally. So scriptures first. Jesus says when you fast, do it this way. But then also tradition, the early church fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. They just assumed that you would be fasting. Um, discipleship. There's. I was listening to a pod. I don't remember where I, where I heard this, but they would. They assumed that like you wouldn't get baptized unless you were fasting and went through like a deliverance thing. Or that's oh, another nice. thing too. Like that's big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The deliverance. Like if, if it was just assumed that you had like they had such a, a, a 
robust understanding of the supernatural world that we don't have. And so for most of church history, they've had a very fully thought out understanding and a practical theology of what it means to live in the supernatural world. And our like microcosm of Western civilization over the past 200 years. Thanks or so, enlightenment. Yeah. Thanks enlightenment. <laughs> we think like, Oh no, we don't have to worry about that. Cause we're so, and it's, you know, CS Lewis's chronological snobbery. We think that we have it right. Cause we're advanced, but if you look at the ratio of like where we're at here versus where the early church has always said um, and stood on and believed, it's like that has more weight over things like fasting or supernatural ministry or whatever. So, oh, yeah, that's a rabbit hole. No, that's so good. Even uh, like tradition, because I, I even think let's talk about, um, let's say more, I actually want to stick with fasting. I was going to say more like the demonic, like go outside of America, you realize this is okay. This is prevalent. Like right. you can see it pretty clearly. It's assumed there too. Yeah. yeah. If you just look at your tradition and your culture, yeah. then you miss a lot of the scriptures. So let's stick with fasting though. Scripture. Okay. Let's use scripture to understand scripture. Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast, this must mean something. Right. Tradition. People have done it throughout, the, you know, throughout the centuries. Reason. Then we can go and go, you know what? Doctors are pointing to how healthy it is for you to fast. It's mm-hmm. good for your body to, to, you know, I, 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 but you know, I've been looking into it more and more, but like, man, it recalibrates your system, yeah. right? You can use reason to point to fasting is not only good because Jesus said to do it, but we can also point to other just data. Even just on a logical basis, fasting is like, well, I struggle with you know, food is like a comfort thing. Therefore, you know, I go to food for comfort. I know God doesn't want that for me. Therefore I take away food for a day. What do I go for comfort? Like on a logical level, that makes sense too. We did that for Sabbathing. Exactly. Right. Sabbath, it'll extend 12 years of your life. It'll, there's, there's so much data to show people are actually more productive when they work six days and fully rest on the seventh. That's reason. Mm -hmm. So that's not the main reason we now do it, mm. but man, that's actually really helpful because sometimes that reason's another uh, aff- affirmation yeah, yeah. to to do this practice. That's good. So scripture, tradition, reason, and then experience. And I'm thinking experience of others and experience yourself. So like fasting, I know I started because I had a mentor mm. who talked about how much it changed his life. So I went, well, if he had this experience, I want to have a similar experience. Let me try it. And then when I did do it and experience life in abundance in a certain way that I've never experienced before, mm-hmm. wow, I have my own testimony now. There's some religions that really put experience super high, mm-hmm. right? Like um, I have a lot of friends who say like they really emphasize the feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and sure. it's like if you had that feeling, then that means, you know, it's true. The experience validates the other three verses. Yeah. They put it or invalidates. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like last Sunday we talked about what happens when tradition's on top and yep. what happens when reason's on top, right. but we didn't have time to talk about what happens when the experience is on top. So what are some other ways when we make experience the top priority that can lead to Yeah, I think, it, uh, you know, my experience, if, if it takes someone who um, you're staring, this is, I had, I'm not going to use that example, never mind. I was going to go like about deconstruction, but somebody that maybe is in the process of deconstruction is not always, and that's such a broad term, and there's so much, I hate the way that this conversation is happening right now. It's simplified, and, and you it's don't simplified, like simplified. I hate that, because nothing's simple. Yeah. Um, but somebody, your stereotypical person that is deconstructing in the way that is antagonistic and like spiteful against God and organized religion is often putting their negative experience of religion, organized religion first, and then interpreting 
logically it makes sense for me to remove myself from this tradition is dumb because it doesn't line up with my experience in the bible it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't follow logic or the tradition that i want it to follow or my own experience and so now you've reversed the quadrilateral and you've interpreted it through your experience and now you're just you know living by something else i was gonna go another route so yeah. that's actually great too that totally makes sense you took a negative experience and that is in a, in, in a fear of being oversimplified, that happens a lot. It's yes. like you get to the end of the story. Totally. There was an abusive father. There was a priest, a pastor that misused and abused. And so you took that. And Not to invalidate if anyone, if that's your story. I mean, there's, that's a huge conversation that needs to happen. But And there that, needs to be repentance on behalf of the leaders. And they right. should probably be taken out. All that. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I have no, seen is people here, those who have deconstructed, and mm -hmm. they said, I have never been happier. Right. I have so much happiness. That church system, that was just condemnation. They use the word grace or whatever, but like I'm free now. Yes. And so then the person hears that and goes, well, I want to feel free. And if I don't feel free, maybe I need to do what he just did and deconstruct. Right. Because he is adamant that his life is so much better. Yeah. Right. And so, but the reality is our heart is deceitful. It's wicked. Who can know it? And even you made the point one time, and we kind of had a kerfuffle on that. There is a possibility to to have a sense of happiness outside of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. I think it's a sense of ignorance, and I think it'll eventually catch up to you. But there is moments where it's like, yeah, that was fun, mm -hmm. and I don't feel bad about it. And this was, I imagine the prodigal son, he loved his time while he was actually partying, right? right? He said, this is my best life ever. Yeah. But then it, it always caught up to him. I'm working on the assumption that you can numb yourself until you die. And I think if you numb yourself until you die, then you can still die in that ignorant sort of blissful state of like, I've never experienced true life because I've never opened myself up to it. And so I'm settling for something that's lesser and I'm living as if that's okay with me forever. Yeah. Cause we had a fun conversation at yeah. soccer camp. Yeah. You're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. nihilism's a pretty, I'm like, what? You're that's like, not yeah, what you I can said. be pretty happy with nihilism. I'm like, you can, what? you can create a counterfeit false lesser existence that does not give you what you really want by ignoring what you really want essentially. But we really do. We are, we enable people to, again, to deconstruct our faith when we make the dumb statement that yeah. man if you don't follow jesus you're miserable right and people and find like, out oh that's you not meet true. one happy person you're like well then this whole thing doesn't make sense yeah and really that's a it, it comes out of fear but also some people use that as a sense of power so they want to have control over you saying like you're never going to be happy unless you follow you know our interpretation of what it means to be happy and, and all that anyways okay so this has been a good one you can edit that out it's been two months <laughs> So here's another element to it. Um, I don't know where you want to take this next, but I'm gonna I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I had inspiration from Dallas Willard in our reflection time of not do I buy what it says, but does it guide what I do? Mm -hmm. Here's a from his book Living in Christ's Presence. Final words on heaven and the kingdom of God. It's also free on Audible. At least it was free for me. Maybe I got some sort of deal, so I don't want to promise that. But he has the following. He said, this is going to be a long quote, so we might need to stop line by line and kind of get caught up. Ready? Often in churches, we try to get people to affirm the right beliefs, the right points of view. The real test of what I actually believe is, does it guide what I do? For example, if I am up on a skyscraper, I would never step off because I believe in gravity. I don't have to force myself to believe in gravity. I don't have to hype myself. I just believe in gravity, so I won't step off that roof unless I am trying to hurt myself. My actions are always a result of my intentions and my perceptions of how things are. Then he says, sometimes in churches, 
We work to get people to affirm stuff even though they don't believe in it like they believe in gravity. Uh, yeah, it's that... Because you were referencing reality at the beginning of this talk, and I almost mm-hmm. brought up this quote earlier. You were alluding to that already. Right. It's Well, I my mind, where I went just now, is the Greek word used throughout the New Testament for faith, right? Pistos or pistis. I don't pistis. remember what the, what the root is. Pistis um, is not an intellectual word. And I think we've intellectualized it for a myriad of reasons we don't need to get into. But Thanks, enlightenment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's this every going. problem just has to do with the enlightenment now, which is part Thanks, true. Rene Descartes. Yeah, this Cartesian duality. Uh, so, the yeah, pissed at, faith for us is an intellectual category where if you have faith in something, it means you intellectually believe that it's true. But in the New Testament, the, the Greek word for faith was a holistic. It was behavioral. It was like a... Loyalty. It was loyalty. It was trust. I think that's the, the word a lot of commentators and scholars have kind of replaced. Not replaced, but they've said this is... We would use the word trust. And trust in the truest sense. Not like I trust that this is vaguely true, but I trust... Like you trust in gravity. Exactly. You're not going to jump off the skyscraper because you know right. gravity's gravity's right. And so when you pray for an increase of faith, you're not praying for an increase of like intellectual capacity. Or understanding even, although that's a part of it. What you're really praying for is like an increase in your ability to live out what you know to be true. So to where it becomes second nature to you. Like you're not going to you're not going to step off a skyscraper because that's that's second nature to you. You know, gravity from the time you were born, you've experimented with it. And the life of following Jesus is the same. You know from experience over a lifelong journey of following Jesus, your faith is increased to where the practices, the lifestyle, the habits, the fruit of the Spirit, to use that language, is second nature to you. That's what it means to increase in faith. That was great. That's We're clipping that. <laughs> the the mental maps of yes. Jesus yeah, yeah. Are, we are adopting as our own. Right. And that can be an argument of what metanoia means. Metanoia is a change of mind. Repentance. And then we think, oh, change of how much we understand. No, it's a change of your mental maps, your understanding of reality. Right. Jesus's way is not just the better way. It is it is the way, right? Um, yeah. And it's ultimate reality. I don't know how to go further with that. I love that idea. And I want to learn how to parse that out more and more. Sure. And I think our job on Sundays, too, usually in our hook and how we start is, Hey, here's how you think, here's how we've been told reality is. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know? Yeah. I think some of this, I maybe, and we can talk about this when we're done recording, but I think some of this could be content for Sunday's teaching is the story of the Bible is pointing to reality stories, point us to what's really true, that kind of thing. So yeah, even at a very at an easy level this last Sunday, we just used the illustration of Donald Trump President Donald yeah. Trump uh, looked like he was running away from yeah, the yeah. FBI or the police or something. And I remember seeing it and was terrified, you know, because just implications of that. Sure. People freaking this out. This is not a political. We're not making a political you stance so on this that podcast. I, did that? <laughs> I knew. Yo, I saw your you notes nervous? and I was like, but I didn't know what the image was. I, uh, I hadn't seen that. Nice. Um, um, yeah. So so that was fun. And then to get a little bit more lighthearted was the deep fake Tom Cruise. Which, which I have, have you, seen. You have seen I have seen videos. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yep. Pretty incredible. Uh, but then it's just a point of like, man. No, neither of those things are true right but it, we can all see a world where we can easily think yeah that was true right mm-hmm. especially if that video was shot like if we saw that video 10 years ago we would have we wouldn't have even asked any questions yeah because we never heard of ai and that kind of technology but so i feel like a lot of discipleship is saying hey here's your here's what you think reality is because of the culture or because of you know just the narratives right but here's the bible's reality and guess what this actually lines up with reality better mm-hmm. um yeah, that's good. Any other? We we could wrap this up. Is there any other thoughts you had on on? on was this? that the whole quote? No, it wasn't. 
I mean, I, yeah, I was just curious. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll continue the quote. Right, because it wasn't that long. Parsing Dallas Willard is like one of my favorite pastimes. Nice. <laughs> it's like a hobby. <laughs> um, so somebody will say, I believe that the Bible is inspired. I believe is the Bible is the inspired authoritative word of God. But the Bible says is more blessed to give than to receive, yet they are not giving. So do they really believe that the Bible is authoritative inspired word of God? Well, at one level, they think they do. But the most important level of belief is their mental map of reality. What are those perceptions that actually guide how we live what we do? Because that is simply how reality looks to us. What we want to do is not simply teach doctrine and get people to affirm it. We want to help people have the same mental map that Jesus had of how things are. That's so good. I don't even know if I can add anything. When I was a kid, I used to be a really, I used to get really scared of that verse in James where he's like, so what? You believe Jesus was the son of God. The demons do. And they shudder. And they shudder. You know, it's like, well, what am I, a de- what, what's the difference? Oh, wow. So how does that, you know, what, I think that kind of answers that question of like, you, you, like, it's not intellectual. It's never been about intellectualism. It's never been about just believing right doctrine. It's also been about the way, examining the way that you live, looking at how, your lifestyle reflects what you believe true reality is. Like if other people look at your life, what would they say you think is really true? And reading scripture, submitting to the authority of scripture is about uh, aligning yourself with what the Bible says is true and allowing it to form you so that you are living by that, that, that new recreated mental map of, of what reality and truth are. But we don't leave room for that kind of conversation, discussion, com- uh, question, because... We are so scared of earning our salvation yeah, and we don't want to make it about works. And so we don't have the conversation. It does my life align with what I say. And, and then that's why we've had this version of coming to Christ of just, did you say these things? And good. You were saved at five. I know there's been no fruit in your life, but I know he said those words, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. No, you didn't adopt the mental map of, of Jesus. Did I step into another bag of worms? <laughs> well, you just discredited like half our listeners' conversion story, but that's okay. <laughs> no, that's the other part, though. It's like, yeah, you, when you get into the theology, like how someone becomes a follower of Jesus, it's something happens. You know, the Holy and Spirit, it is all grace generation. Yeah, yeah. Like, but grace, well and I think Willard would say, grace is like the beginning point. That's the access point. So you get into this life by grace, but you participate in it. So to use Reformed language, like justification versus sanctification like we're after sanctification right now because in our community in our context we think that that's the best for our people a lot of our people are christians or newly christians so how do i become somebody who really follows jesus not just with my thoughts but with my lifestyle my habits and things like that yeah and willard says you know the the elite christian you know uses more grace than anybody right you know like 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 jet fuel yeah um but yeah i'm just saying we're scared to have the conversation yes. as does my life align because then it's like, Oh, now you're, you're trying to act like you earned it. And we're not saying you earned it. Well, your life is never going to align. Enough. That's why, you know, Jesus mm-hmm. died for you is because it's not going to align. So just trust in him and leave. It's like, okay, well, what, what do I do between now and eternity then? Like, do I just buckle right. down and try harder? Well, that's not right either. Cause it's not about trying and you just get, it's like, Oh my training. gosh, training. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there. Uh, and I think if, if you're, if you go to our church and if this last little part confused you, we'd love to have a conversation because <laughs> I know because of time, we're probably leaving some more questions unanswered. Uh, but I think it's a helpful paradigm. I, I love Willard, man. Yeah. I just so grateful for him. Any parting words for session one? 
Nope. Grace and peace to you guys. Hope you enjoyed this. We'll see you next week.